Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK, designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. This episode of Your Torah is dedicated to the Stanmore Women's Tefillah Group by Shelley Morris. Today we'll be talking about Tracti Shavi. My name is Leah Sarna, and you might remember me from a few weeks ago when we introduced Seder's Rhyme in an episode called It All Begins with a Seed. Well, I'm back, and this time we're talking about the literal opposite of seeds, as you'll hear about soon. Shavi, literally the seventh, is about the seventh year, the sabbatical year. We typically call it Shemitah. The Shemitah year has all sorts of special laws. In the 25th chapter of Leviticus, we get a short introduction to them. Here we go. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land that I am giving to you, the land shall observe a Sabbath for the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in their yield. But in the seventh year there should be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. This is what I was talking about before. In the Shemitah year, you can't plant. See? No seeds. You shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest or gather the grapes of your unpruned vine. It shall be a year of complete rest for the land. You may eat what the land yields during its Sabbath, you, your male and female slaves, your hired and your bound laborers who live with you. For your livestock also, and for the wild animals in your land, all its yield shall, all its yield shall be for food. A Sabbath of the land, a year of complete rest for the land, a Shabbat. If the Jews deserve a Shabbat, then so too does the land of Israel. But what about the fruits that just grow up on their own? Plants that just show up in your field, grapes that grow on unpruned vines, and fruit that grows on trees even during the Shemitah year? Well, these verses tell us that we cannot reap them normally. And indeed, they are hefker, up for grabs by anyone, ownerless. The owner can eat them. However, and this is important, she cannot hoard them. She cannot take in a full year's apple crop, for example. Instead, when the apples cease to be on the trees, when the wild animals can no longer eat of the apple crop, that point in time is called the shat habior, the time for removal. Each crop has its own shat habior, and at that point, she can distribute a small amount of the crop in the house to each of her family members, and the rest must be taken out of the house and left for the poor. In the Shemitah year, the land is resting, and its produce is not ours to keep as commodity. Two major themes of Seder's Rhyme, as those of you who, may, who have been listening all along might have noticed, are land and charity. Shemitah is, in some ways, about doing charity to and through the land. Charity to the land by allowing it to rest, to lay fallow to experience a Shabbat. Charity through the land by allowing the fruits and vegetables that grow on their own to be charitable, to be ownerless, hefker, available to the poor. We allow the land itself to give tzedakah. 
Another major legal element of Shemitah is the remission of loans. We learn about that in Deuteronomy 15, as follows. Every seventh year you shall grant a remission of debts, and this is the manner of the remission. Every creditor shall remit the claim that is held against the neighbor, not exacting it of a neighbor who is a member of the community, because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. And a little bit further along in the chapter, a more explicit encouragement towards generosity. If there is among you anyone in need, a member of your community in any of your towns within the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your needy neighbor. You should rather open your hand, willingly lending enough to meet the need, whatever it may be. Be careful that you do not entertain a mean thought, thinking, the seventh year, the year of remission, is near, and therefore view your needy neighbor with hostility and give nothing. Your neighbor might cry out to the Lord against you, and you would incur guilt. Give liberally and be ungrudging when you do so, for on this account the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. The Torah uses Shemitah to teach about generosity, to remind people that when they give loans, if those loans cannot be repaid, that's okay. You, who were wealthy enough to give a loan in the first place, you will be okay. The Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all you undertake when you act generously. Now we'll talk through a rundown of the chapters in this tractate. The first two chapters talk about the onset of the Shemitah year. If the Shemitah year technically begins on Rosh Hashanah, what kind of work can I do in the months leading up to that? The Mishnah goes through, crop by crop, telling us what kind of work is permissible at various points in time during the sixth year. These months are called Tosefet Shavit, the additions to the Shemitah year. The third and fourth chapters describe the permitted labor during the Shemitah year, taking care of your livestock, fixing a fence, things like that. The first half of the fifth chapter talks about fruits that only grow every few years and how Shemitah works for those. And the second half of the fifth top chapter talks about how to interact and do business with people whom we do not trust to adequately keep Shemitah. Can we eat their food? Trade with them? When can we trade with them? The Mishnah here picks up on the same things we see in Masachet Demai, about how to deal with community and uncertainty and differences in religious observance. This remains a question in our day as well. In Israel, there are a number of different ways in which people observe Shemitah. Rabbi Abraham Isaac Hakohen Cook, the first Ashkenazi chief rabbi of British Mandate Palestine, supported what is called the Heter Mechira, literally the permission to sell. The Heter Mechira is a halachic loophole very similar to how we sell chametz before Passover. A landowner in Israel may sell their property to a non-Jew for the year and then work the field and sell the product. Many religious Jews in Israel today do not believe that this is a permissible way to observe the Shemitah year. In the most extreme cases, some of those people only eat produce that is sourced from outside of Israel during the Shemitah year. Others have found loopholes that they deem to be slightly less, well, loophole like the Utsar Beitin. It means literally a storehouse operated by the religious court, wherein the religious court system essentially collects the fruit grown that year and then sells it. 
They can employ whoever they want to help with the collection and processing of these produce, and the cost of those wages then get passed along to the consumer at the end of the day, but the produce itself is distributed for free. Conveniently, today, the religious courts typically employ the owner of the property and all of her usual workers as part of this process, so that even though the owner might lose money on the produce, they still have income during the Shemitah year. Different religious communities in Israel argue over which system is the ideal. All are trying to be serious about the Shemitah year while still enabling the residents of Israel to eat and also to compete in the 21st century economy. But what does one do when you aren't sure that your neighbor, who just invited you over for a meal, observes Shemitah the way that you do? That's a real-life problem. Back to our rundown of chapters in the tractate. The sixth chapter is something of a hodgepodge, first delineating the borders of the land that is included in the requirements of Shemitah, then describing the rules particular to certain kinds of foods during the Shemitah year, and also rules about transporting Shemitah produce. The seventh chapter describes what kinds of plants the rules of the Shemitah year apply to, what kinds of things have the status of Kedushat Shvi'it, the holiness of the seventh year. The general principle is, Anything which is either human food, animal food, or can be used for dyes, and also that the type of thing that would just rot if you left it out. The eighth chapter adds to our understanding of what kinds of things you cannot do with vegetation that has the status of Kedushat Shvi'it, the holiness of the seventh year. The ninth chapter mostly deals with the Shat Habur, the time for removal. We discussed this earlier in the episode, how one is forbidden from hoarding Shemitah produce and therefore must at certain specified point in time remove that produce from their house and declare it hefker, ownerless. The tenth chapter talks about Shemitah Ksafim, the Shemitah of money, how we have to forgive loans during the Shemitah year. One of the best known Mishnahs in this tractate comes from the tenth chapter. So let's actually go there and take a read together. We're talking about the remission of loans that ought to happen at the end of each Shemitah year. This is the 10th chapter, Mishnah 3. Prozbol eno mishamit. Any loan made with a prozbol is not cancelled. Okay, back up. What's a prozbol? The word is based on a Greek phrase, prozbole buliotoun meaning something like, and I don't know any Greek, so forgive me if this is wrong, before the assembly of the counselors. But that doesn't really help you know what it is in the context of the Mishnah. It is explained a bit further along in the chapter that the prosbol allows the lender to collect his debt even after the Shemitah year. All he needs to do is go to a Beitin, a religious court, and say to them as follows, quote, I submit to you, judges in insert name of city here, all of the outstanding loans that are owed to me, thereby allowing these debts to be collected at any time that I desire. So essentially what he does is the lender passes the loan along to the court, and then the loan can be collected at any time. And that passing along of the loan to the court is called a prisbal. Okay, but then the obvious question is why that would be something we would want. Charity is a huge element of the Shemitah year. We open up our fields and we remit our loans. So the Mishnah continues with a bit of a story. This is one of the matters that Hillel the Elder instituted. 
When he observed that the nation withheld from lending to each other, and they were transgressing what is written in the Torah, Be careful that you do not entertain a mean thought, etc. He instituted, Hillel instituted the Prisbal. Now that's the entirety of Mishnah Shavi 10.3. The Mishnah, and really the whole Talmud and oral law, loves to quote halves of verses and assume that you just know the whole Torah by heart. Now, if you knew the whole Torah by heart, then when the Mishnah quotes to you, be careful that you do not entertain a mean thought, you would know that that verse comes from Deuteronomy 15.9 and is talking about the remission of loans during the Shemitah year. You would know that the whole verse reads like this. Be careful that you do not entertain a mean thought, thinking the seventh year, the year of remission, is near, and therefore view your needy neighbor with hostility and give nothing. Your neighbor might cry out to the Lord against you, and you would incur guilt. So what's our Mishnah talking about? The verse in Deuteronomy explicitly says, do not hold back from making loans to your needy neighbors because of the Shemitah year. You will incur guilt. Don't say to yourself, oh, I shouldn't make a loan because it's just going to be canceled in a year from now. But Hillel the elder saw that the people were doing exactly what the verse prohibits. And so Hillel the elder created a path forward which would still allow loans to stand. Now we asked before, Okay, what about charity? The remission of loans is a form of charity. People shouldn't get out of it so easily. But we need to remember is that in the eyes of the Torah, the loans themselves are charity. The loans themselves are actually more important than even the remission of loans. And indeed, even today, lending is a wonderful form of charity. There are any number of organizations around the world that engage in what is called micro-lending. Micro-lending is a way to lend money to people who cannot access or qualify for traditional loans. Usually, the loan is essentially an investment in a small business. Organizations like Kiva require the borrower to submit a business plan in advance, and then the micro-loan helps to jumpstart their business, bringing income to that individual, but also helping to build the economy in their hometown. More locally, Jewish communities around the world have free loan societies, which help local Jewish community members pay for their needs now and pay back later. It's a way of helping out fellow Jews in their moments of need. But as a loan instead of a handout, it's also a lot more dignified. And once the loan is repaid, the funds can then be used to help the next person. Hillel the Elder had a sense about this. And he decided that it was much more important for individuals to make loans than it was for those loans to be remitted on the Shemitah year. The verse in Deuteronomy saw this coming, warned the Jews against the situation explicitly, but to no avail. So Hillel the Elder took action. And that's kind of amazing. So that's our Mishnah. I just want to leave you with something beautiful to think about as we wrap up this episode about Shemitah. In 1909, Rabbi Abraham Isaac Cohen Cook, the first Ashkenazi chief rabbi of the British Mandate, whom we spoke about briefly earlier in this episode, published a work about the laws of Shemitah called Shabbat Haaretz. 
The introduction to that work contains a beautiful meditation on the deeper meanings and spiritual potential of the Shemitah. This work was translated by Rabbi Julian Sinclair of the organization called Chazon, which is a Jewish environmental organization, in the year 2014. And I want to read you a bit from his translation. Here we go. What Sabbath does for the individual, Shemitah does for the nation as a whole. The Jewish people, in whom the godly creative force is planted eternally and distinctively, has a special need to periodically reveal the divine light within itself with full intensity. Our mundane lives, with their toil, anxiety, anger, and competition, do not entirely suffocate this creative force. On the Shemitah year, our pure inner spirit may be revealed as it truly is. The forcefulness that is inevitably part of our regular public lives lessens our moral refinement. There is always a tension between the ideal of listening to the voice inside us that calls us to be kind, truthful, and merciful, and the conflict, compulsion, and pressure to be unyielding that surround buying, selling, and acquiring things. These aspects of the world of action distance us from the divine light and prevent its being discerned in the public life of the nation. This distance also permeates the morality of individuals like poison, stilling the tumult of social life from time to time in certain predictable ways is meant to move this nation, when it is well-ordered, to rise towards an encounter with the heights of its other inner moral and spiritual life. They touch the divine qualities inside them that transcend all stratagems of the social order and that cultivate and elevate our social arrangements, bringing them towards perfection. Happy learning! This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK, in collaboration with women from around the world who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying Your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjova.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag YourTorah.